0: Episode 63 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 13th of May, 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Graham. Hello. And Phelan. Good evening. And uh, no, Will, because he's off at some work thing, but oh well, i have to just soldier on without him. It's been about a month, well, exactly a month, I think, since we did a proper episode, so I thought we'd do a news catch-up. There's been a lot going on. Let's start with the inevitable
1: then, Phelan. Uh What's been going on in KDE land? Oh, you know, you've missed it. Um, the the apps 1904 release has just come out, and along with that, the associated libraries and framework release. And in amongst all those, various fixes to KMail, uh, some very nice KDE Connect integration for phone numbers and emails that you can just click on and it'll dial it from your phone. Um, fixes to Akinadi, which I am very grateful because my KMail broke for about two weeks due to one of the point releases messing something up. Um, and that was bloody annoying for a long time. So that got fixed. And um, they have grammar tools now. So fuck you, Grammarly. You can shove your ads <laughs> up your arse, fucking ruining my YouTube experience at every single moment. And um, the KDN Live uh, 19 version that has about 60% of it changed came out as well.
2: Yeah, that's really nice it's um i I used it a couple of weeks ago um well actually it was one of the beta releases before nineteen o four was released and it it already felt great i mean they've changed a lot um things like the audio separated from the video timeline, which will f- affect people's workflow briefly, but they're making such great progress and it obviously was needed you know like k d three to k d four
1: <laughs> <laughs> let's not go there yeah. um, with that though uh, uh, funnily enough within the last two weeks there's actually been a one release of that as well so they've even updated it
2: further so even more bug fixes yeah it seems to be like um, one of those applications that's reaching a critical mass you know like Critter. you know Critter kind of hit a certain point where lots of people cross-platform started to use it and it became huge and you know it feels like KDN Live's getting to that point
0: yeah I think the next time I have to do some video editing I might check it out because I've traditionally used OpenShot, which is a bit limited and a bit um, Mm. Fisher-Price. And I hear great things about Live. I'm not thrilled about pulling down all of the uh, KDE dependencies, but I don't know, I've got enough bandwidth and disk. So, yeah, I think I will give it a go. Given that you
1: don't use uh, a proper desktop, your PC is (laughs) generally doing nothing most of the time anyway. So now it can finally have uh, the ability to do things. Yeah. Uh, is this the point where I boast about
0: my uh, 350 megabit per second internet now? Shop. <laughs> <Sure.
2: laughs> well, there has to be some kind of positive trade off for living in London.
0: Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, I might be dead from all the pollution, but at least I have like, really fast internet. <laughs> and the knife crime, oh, the yeah, rampant yeah. knife crime. Indeed. Um, so, what's this about uh, other KDE stuff then?
1: Well, uh, along with that, there has been a redevelopment of the notifications. Now, that's not here yet. It's coming in 5.16 of the uh, framework. So that is a massive rewrite of that. That hasn't changed much since, I believe, early KB4, maybe late KB4. But a lot of that has sort of fallen by the wayside. Um, Like right now, your notifications will pop up. They'll go to a kind of a half-hearted history sort of list and they'll just kind of stockpile there and really everything happens in there. So, you know, you get so much spam and noise from, uh, you know, Wi-Fi connections going off and on and things like that, that it's kind of pointless. Like you end up just clearing it every now and again, which is not much use. So to help with that, they've split that out into per application. Um, There'll be certain events that have priorities. So things that don't need to be in there can just disappear. Like you don't care if the Wi-Fi goes off and on you know, you'll see it, it'll change, then you don't need to see a history occur at that. Um, things that you need to see in groups, at least you'll be able to see per application. It'll list a, a shorter list per application that you can expand if you need to see more. Um, there's also um, better multi-monitor support. So people who had multi-monitors you, you would get notifications on the wrong monitor sometimes, or if there was two task bars, it would get confused. Uh, oh, there's a fair few bugs for that. Um, that they've handled that nicer. And there's a really good do not disturb feature where you can set certain applications or general events for a time period
2: to not annoy you. So if you're doing a presentation or recording or something like that. The preview of the uh, notification history looks really useful. It does. One of the features I actually quite like in mac OS is where you can slide in from the the right hand side of the screen and actually see kind of the an un- under layer of notifications and I could see that notification history fitting really well with something like that, you know a gesture to bring it in from the side and then hide it again yeah and
0: academy twenty nineteen is going to be in Milan in September. I bet that'll be nice
1: over there that time of year. yeah, I mind slumming over to that mm. um And the call for papers is in by the 31st of May. Um, And also along with that is the Linux App Summit, which is unfortunately LAS, which I don't think is related somehow. But (laughs) um, that is where Gnome and Katie are going to get together and try and develop the ecosystem together and make it all better. And it's going to be great.
0: This has previously been called the Libra Application Summit, I think. And now they've changed it to Linux App Summit it's all a bit confusing with the branding but that said it is good to see gnome and kde coming together and trying to get some standards working so that we don't have this problem i know you don't like to cross the streams with gtk and cute stuff but most normal people just don't give a shit and just install whatever they want well that's because they're wrong but anyway continue <laughs> <laughs> bring back the desktop wars i say no uh, none of that nonsense it'd be good if we can have some more standards and stuff, so um, Yeah, because it was very GNOME-focused, I think, before, or at least GTK-focused. So having the KDE folks going over there as well would be good. Do we know when this is happening then? Uh, Well,
1: they don't know yet. I think uh, if you want to um, put in a proposal, it's by actually Wednesday this week. And there's a couple of other dates, but the 19th of June is when they're apparently going to have the announcement So, uh, yeah, if you have a great idea for a place, you better be very fast and get it in there. Yeah, they say it's going to be between
0: September and December 2019, so nice and vague. (laughs) All right, well, the biggest news of the last month happened only a few days ago, and that is that Windows Subsystem for Linux 2 is actually going to ship a Linux kernel now. Instead of just translating system calls to the NT kernel, it's like a mini VM running a proper Linux kernel. So
1: Microsoft ships Linux Shocker. And I hear they're going to pay back all the Android tax that they took for the Vfat file <laughs> system as well. So expect that in the post. Everybody's getting a check.
2: Excellent. Yeah, this is huge news. Um, I mean, if people have used WSL, is actually quite usable on Windows. If you know, for years you used to have to use Cygnix or other things you couldn't really get a good bash experience or a linux experience if you were forced to use windows um and so it worked out really well for for doing that but actually shipping the kernel is gonna well it it effectively makes it an embedded linux right there in windows i mean with the installed user base of windows it could potentially eclipse kind of desktop linux users anyway i'm i 'm just guessing off the top of my head it could it could be the source of the biggest Linux user base and you know on desktop
0: yeah I think they 're aiming for a billion Windows ten users. I might be wrong with that, but it 's an awful lot anyway, even like compared to Ubuntu and stuff like that i mean it doesn 't um, compare with the cloud installations no. you know if you think every vM that 's running some sort of Ubuntu or Alpine or whatever every docker container then you're talking about probably billions there. But it is significant. It's, it's hugely significant. And the change in attitude as well, the fact that they do have to make some changes to the kernel to make it work, but they're very keen to upstream them and actually obey the GPL and stuff. It just, I don't know, him you are very skeptical of Microsoft. Is your mind being changed by any of this?
1: Well, I mean if they are legit, then yeah, I think it's great. But I mean, I think you have to be skeptical because we've got, you know, if if there was a scales of evidence in one side to the other, there's a massive tipping in the negative sense for all the stuff that's been done previous. And yes, people can change and it's a big company and not all of it's changed. So, I mean, I'm still fairly cautionary, I guess. I mean, I'm not going to just go, oh, it's Microsoft or like there are more than the extremes like you can be somewhere in the middle i hear a lot of podcasts where people go oh you're either fucking saying what is it my microsoft micro blows m dollar sign wind blows yeah that's the very one you're either that or you're like oh my god microsoft are the best thing ever they're so they've so hearted linux right now it's like well no you can be somewhat in the middle i think and i don't think that's a, a sort of a harsh way to judge them right now because one thing I picked up on this, which I might be being petty or maybe reading too much into it, is they go on an awful lot about, how they're building it with Microsoft's world class CICD system. And, you know, it's almost like, it. you know, we've got proper CVE databases. Like, well, of course, so do we. I mean, maybe I'm being slightly oversensitive on it, but it almost feels like they're saying if you want to do proper business Linux on the command line, use this, don't use the actual distro. Like, why would you do that? So I don't know. I
2: I am dubious about it all, but I'm prepared to be surprised in a good way. Are you dubious because you don't understand Microsoft's motivation or or because it might turn out to be something else?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, their job is to make as much money as possible. Um, You know, it's like saying, oh, this drug company has released this amazing drug to help everybody. No, they're trying to make as much money as possible. And it might turn out later that that drug wasn't actually the right thing to use. I think... Any big corporation like that is just out to make money and that's it. Yes, along the way they can help people, they can do things the right way, but it's a big shift and I am very sceptical that there is nothing, you know, like they're smarter about business than me. So... If I can't see something, it doesn't mean that it's not there. It just means that they've thought of something really crafty and that's how they're going to make money. And if that happens to be using Linux everywhere and it's just going to be great and go along that way, then okay, fair enough. Well, the way I see it, their motivations are pretty transparent. They just want to
0: drive as much Azure Azure use as possible and they want as many devs and sysadmin types using Windows as possible. And so they're giving them the tools that they need, which is like proper Linux tools, on Windows, it it just seems to be a very straightforward motivation.
1: Yeah, but play that out though, and you you get to the point where you have to kind of give even more away for free because well, people go well, hang on, I now use this fully functioning system all in Bash scripts, etc. I don't need the desktop environment because I don't use it anymore. I've even got to the point where I'm using Vim in a fucking Windows terminal. And I'm editing my code that way and I'm pushing it to our Linux build system. Why am I doing all this on a Windows box? What am I paying that extra license fee for? Well, that's the next step, isn't it?
0: Presumably that they're just not going to charge you for Windows anymore.
1: Yeah, but then a lot of stuff kind of goes away. Like you, you know, you can, I mean, they tie people in through Office 365 and the likes of that. I mean, you can say tie in whatever, but I mean... Yeah, okay, it's email and documents. You can get them in and out, whatever, and oh, yeah, they're all open standards. But to get a a business to change their mind on what they're going to use as their supplier is a difficult task, and a lot of people get entrenched quite easily in that setup because, well, what are you going to do? You're hardly going to go with your own thing, are you? Because that's a lot of work and a lot of risk, and people like to have, quite rightly, a way to have someone else take that risk away from them because otherwise it's their job. So, you know, you'd be reluctant to change on a lot of things like that. So, if Microsoft can get in to be the Linux distro, and then they, they're they in quite a powerful position there. So, I think it's nefarious somewhat, but I, I, I don't know. I've nothing to back it up. So, it would just be me being bitter grapes at this time. Because I've also open sourced their.
0: Command, uh, what, cmd.exe, whatever, the shitty command line, and also
1: made a proper terminal that you can use on Windows now. Yeah, I can't believe this. Uh, like, how people who do Windows stuff put up with what they had for so long, I don't know. Because, like, even copy and paste out of that thing was a fucking nightmare. Like, but it's a tabbed terminal. Okay, great. How long have we had that for?
0: Yeah, no, but that's the point, isn't it? That now they're catching up. <laughs> It's not some great innovation, this terminal. It's just now you have a tool on Windows that is fairly similar to the tools that we already have on Linux.
1: I probably wouldn't have been highlighting it in a flashy video about how I was just about getting up (laughs) to, what, 1995?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it it does show to me that they are serious about Linux because it's a big moneymaker for them because they want to compete with AWS. They want to drive people to Azure. And they w- want to get all that infrastructure on there.
1: That shouldn't necessarily be a good thing, though, because that's trying to almost become a a monoculture. Like I, I would prefer that we have 10 sort of good suppliers of things rather than the three we're going to end up with. We're going to end up with Microsoft, Google, and uh, Amazon, realistically. And yes, Red Hat, IBM, maybe. I don't know. It depends on how that goes for them. But, I mean, that's not a great sort of market to be in. I mean, that's quite chokehold over the whole thing.
0: Well, I know we're sponsored by them, but DigitalOcean are doing pretty well as well. They're growing massively and, you know, have a slightly different approach maybe, but they are essentially a cloud provider. I don't think that we're going to end up with just the three. I think there'll be maybe the three big ones. And really, it's not even three big ones, is it? It's AWS and the rest, really.
1: Yeah, but but look what they're doing. You have AWS, which is competing against all the open source projects. Those are now changing their license to restrict that because they've suddenly realized that, shit, we don't actually want to be open. We want to be somewhat locking you into our support model. And if you're not going to do that, then we're fucked. So I didn't think about that one properly. And then you have the likes of Microsoft, which is in one of our other stories, picking up the uh, Apache Software Foundation. So you've got GitHub and Apache Software Foundation have merged into a Microsoft conglomerate, and then you have uh, Amazon kind of mucking on all the other systems. It's kind of getting to be, I don't know, lines are getting drawn around the place,
2: and I don't know necessarily whether it's a good thing. I think it'll be potentially a billion new eyes on open source software.
1: I mean, yeah, I hope so, but they might not necessarily have all the morals that we would have in terms of keeping things open and it might not necessarily be good for it. Because a company who or a group that gets a big influx of cash, it doesn't necessarily equal great things happening. It can sometimes mean the wrong people getting involved
2: and not kind of understanding how it all goes. And that could destroy things too. I think it it will change things, certainly, but we shouldn't be afraid of change, you know, we otherwise we're just gonna get left behind. We can't kind of become an anachronism and and not adapt to the way that things are changing and microsoft's embracing linux in in at a time when it previously you know was was the inverse of that
0: yeah and the question is is the extinguish ever going to happen well fucking of course not so i don't know stop worrying it'll be fine
2: Uh (laughs) uh-huh well i mean you know we don't know and i appreciate you know what you're saying um but I, I guess my instinct is that the, the net benefit. There's a net benefit to this, and it's, it's you know it's a real turnaround.
0: Yeah, we've won, man. That's what it boils down to. We've won.
2: Ah, oh, don't
1: celebrate too early. <laughs> <laughs> Trojan horse.
0: <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do. Slash lnl, and you'll get a hundred dollars credit with sixty days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets, as they call them in data centers all around the world with really fast networking and really fast SSDs. And they offer several distros, Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, and even FreeBSD, and some container distros. Or if you don't want to use one of those, you can use your own custom image. And you can build up from a base distro, or you can just go for a one-click app, like WordPress, Discourse, GitLab, and tons of others. I've mentioned their managed Postgres databases before, but now it's production-ready and generally available. And don't forget, if you need a bit more storage, you can add either block storage or object storage to your droplets really easily. Another great feature they have is Teams, so you can all work on droplets together without having to share any account passwords or anything. And my favorite feature has to be the backups. You just set it and forget it, and I have utilized that before when I did an upgrade without really thinking about it, and it went wrong, and I needed to quickly roll back, and it was an absolute lifesaver. These droplets start from $5 a month, but you can scale them up to exactly what you need. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $100 credit to get started. That's do.co slash LNL. So the other big news is uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8 has been released and they've changed their logo as well, which is probably more interesting, to be honest. But I don't know, is there anything particularly interesting about the uh, RHEL 8 release? It does feel like hugely more modern than seven doesn't it It feels like things have changed an awful lot in the meantime between those two releases and now they're actually you know they've got a modern approach to things
1: yeah i mean it looks like they've sort of realized that the core being so stable was really killing them because the likes of debian and ubuntu were really taking all that sort of hosting market and because they were able to update packages in a much more reliable cadence and stuff. Um so it's been quite interesting to see some of the modular designs that they've got where you can get a set of container images that are pre-built for a particular function like there's a Node.js 8 one, PHP 72, Python 27, Python 36 ready to go and it can interact with the um with a standard sort of generic container host or it can if it's a Red Hat host it can customize that and get extra features um they've got some good documentation that they've released to to show various uh, how-to guides and setting up various things with red hat 8 and um yeah i mean it looks interesting i mean i probably a while before i get to touch it because everything i have will be six and seven that i've used so i'll have to fire it up in a, a vm somewhere i think what about these application streams or app stream It
0: allows you to run different versions concurrently, so older versions of PHP or whatever, at the same time. Um, It's kind of solving the same problem that Snaps aims to solve, but obviously Red Hat has to do it their own way. They did this before in Fedora, they call it modularity, but it's just the same thing, really, just rebadged for the enterprise. And it's that modern approach to me that makes me think they have actually stood up and realized that, yeah, they need to do some things differently with RHEL to, to stay on top of the market, to compete with upstarts like Canonical.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's healthy for there to be a good competitor because, I mean, you never want to see a good competitor disappear because um, I don't think they are going anywhere. There's a lot of money there. But if you're starting a project, unless you're saying, oh, I want to install a giant Oracle database, yeah, you might use Red Hat. But if you're going to set up a website, that wasn't what you would use because the things were just too out of date. So if they're Picking up that, it'll probably help Canonical up their game as much as anything else. So, I mean, yeah, it's healthy. It's good. And Okay, let's talk about the logo then. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: ripping peace, Shadow Man. I think that their new logo is all right. It's just a hat now and doesn't have some shady, scary-looking dude. Um, I have no problem with it. I don't know why people... It's funny, people have been analyzing the, the hat saying, oh, it's not a proper fedora. It's
1: got different folds. And who gives a fuck, man? It's a red hat it reminded me of top gear because i remember when they slagged off ford because they said at some ford car focus group they came up with the ford car and the ford focus and uh they kind of went from a, a man red hat to a red hat uh, you know talk about excitement there and if you look back <laughs> at the various ones they've had over the years it's like oh i think we'll have a font change and yeah that, that'll do us for next 20 years and let's see how we go um but what, just as long as it's not that first one because that looked brutal this ridiculous red top hat it looks like the mad hat cat fella <laughs> whatever it is eating green bacon and ham or whatever the fuck it is some American thing anyway it looked like him
0: well at least it says red hat now and not red hat which is kind of what it said before and the brand was a bit confused and stuff so no, I like it I think it's modern and clean and good design and a good good uh, move for them So Shuttleworth has been uh, talking up the desktop and pretending to be surprised that the desktop is doing better than people thought. This uh, reeks of just trying to look good for the IPO or sale to me.
1: It's very cynical.
0: (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, him pretending to be surprised that the desktop's doing well. I mean, do we really believe him that he's surprised?
1: Well, I mean, they did... Get rid of an awful lot of people that were involved with desktop. I mean, obviously it wasn't canned, but it did seem like if you look a year ago, things didn't look too good. If you happen to be doing desktop Ubuntu work, there's a lot of
2: fear of people saying, oh, Jesus, all dead now. Um, But that's obviously picked up. I do think that the headline on this is a bit clickbaity. The um, I think I saw the interview, and it kind of came up as an aside to some of the questions that were being asked, rather than, than it being, you know, some. It's been pulled out, maybe, of the wider context of what the discussion was about to say. You know, this is what Mark Shuttleworth is saying, at least from my memory of the discussion. But either way, it's good. It's good for our pal Will, eh, that uh, his
0: department is actually making him some money, <laughs> and so, you know, hopefully he's got some job security there.
2: <laughs> yeah. It is. Of course, it's great. I mean, I mean, for so many years, we've put up with stories of, you know, the desktop failing and or the year of the desktop and all those kind of jokes. So We've just become kind of used to the idea that nobody knows there's a Linux desktop.
0: Yeah. But when Shuttleworth reined it in a bit and, you know, stopped spending lots of money on Unity and the phone and all that, and it just went for GNOME, I think that was a good strategy overall. I mean, GNOME, I think, is a fucking car crash and I hate it, but yeah. I think in terms of an enterprise desktop you could do worse and it's you know it, it's relatively low overhead for them and just makes them more serious in a way rather than like what's this your own thing and like what you're trying to do this whole Unity 8 business and all that like now it's just okay it's not differentiated massively from RHEL or SUSE but It's kind of a bit more like being at the big boys' table. Obviously, they should just use KDE, though. Get the Plasma desktop
1: on there. Well, I'm pretty sure they could make it look like Unity in about a few days' work, and it would have been far more responsive. They would have had to do no work with that, so I think they should have just done that. They could have themed it like mad. (laughs) Yeah, or they could have just used XFCE and had
0: it use a fraction of the RAM of anything else, but, you know. Zero functionality. (laughs) When was the last time you actually tried XFCA phoning? Uh, I don't know, maybe five years ago? Well, exactly. And it hasn't changed since. Exactly. But- <laughs> <laughs> No, it has changed subtly, And I've been going around converting people left, right and center because when they actually try XFCE, they realize, fuck me, this is actually really fast. And Joe's right. Take your fucking snake oil somewhere else. Look, man, just try it out for just a few days. Uh No deal. Stick it on an old laptop and you'll realize. And fuck it
1: out the window. Problem solved. (laughs) No, it's like having
0: a new laptop, honestly. (laughs)
2: Is that your special voice for convincing people? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's my uh, it's my salesman voice. <laughs> yeah. you need to come home with me. <laughs> exactly. Have you tried
0: Xfce? It's actually very fast.
2: I've got Xfce running at home.
0: <laughs> would you Would you like to see my Xfce laptop? Um, anyway, let's swiftly move on. Um, so, Nextcloud is using, like, uh, well, it's become self aware, as you say in this doc, failing. Yeah, well,
1: remember this date. <laughs> <laughs> it's written this press release. <laughs> Get some sense on this, Grim.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, it's introduced machine learning based security and usability features. So, it's basically using fail to ban. It is with a,
1: a couple of greps thrown in there and a few rules. <laughs> Job done. Well, it learnt. It's a machine. <laughs> what fucking more do you want? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. But, you know, this this does look like a decent feature to stop people brute forcing your um, next cloud installations.
1: Well, yeah, because, I mean, the problem is a lot of those scripts don't work anymore. Like, the likes of Feltabandas work because they own so many machines that can just ping it by machine. So one ping from one machine... And then the next machine tries, and you can't block that easily on that. You'd have to block, essentially, the internet and give a whitelist as the only way to allow people in, almost. So, um yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I, I haven't got it yet. I upgraded 13, 14, 15 over the weekend because I had a really old version of Debian that I needed to upgrade first and I've not been offered it yet. So I'm actually really looking forward to it coming out.
0: Yeah, because they're rolling it out slowly, aren't they? They are, yeah. Which is
1: quite a sensible approach. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but there's quite a few nice things in there. I, um, the One of the cool things is deck. I've been using this a few times to pretend I can organize projects, put the, all the fill them all in, then leave them for several months and come back and go, oh, shit, I haven't done any of this. But uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a Kanban-like board. Um, it's pretty cool. Well, it's about time that I started using
0: Nextcloud, I think, because we use Drive to share the flax for this show, and it must have been a couple of months ago, maybe a bit more, where it just fucking wouldn't download, and I had to get Chris to download it in Seattle and then upload it to Dropbox, and it was just a fucking nightmare. So after that, I swore I would set up a Nextcloud server, but here we are several months later, and I haven't done it. I have to sort out, let's encrypt first which is giving me fucking issues. I might have to get your help for that, failing, but we'll talk about that off air.
1: Oh, I think I'm, I think I'm on holidays that um, week. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by CDN77. Go to cdn77.com, and they are a UK-based CDN provider with a standalone live streaming platform providing end-to-end video solutions. They sponsor loads of great projects like CentOS, KDE, Fedora, Gentoo, and Funtoo, And one of their standout clients is the European Space Agency, who use CDN77 to deliver Hubble images all around the world. And this CDN is built from over 500 servers, all running Debian, and most of them are physical servers, only a few of them are VMs. And everything is developed in-house by CDN77. They make their own DDoS protection, and through the optimizations that they've done, they can push 80 gigabits per second of live streaming through just one machine. They've got 30 points of presence in North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Australia, with daily peaks regularly exceeding 4 terabits per second. They're really big on innovation as well. They were the first CDN to implement features like HTTP2 and broccoli compression. But most importantly, it's really easy to use. I hosted an episode of the JRS podcast on there, and it was really easy to put the file on there and link to it. And... I've had no complaints about the speed from people downloading it all over the world. They've recently launched some new monthly plans with the best value on the market from $9.99 per terabytes as a global flat rate. And they've also got a pay-as-you-go option with no commitments and full transparency. They've got a 14-day trial with no credit card needed, so go to cdn77.com and sign up there. And once you've done your free trial and you're ready to go for the paid option, then mention Late Night Linux to the sales or tech support team, and you get an extra first payment bonus. So, for example, if you topped up $1,000, you'd get an extra 400 on top of that. So, go to cdn77.com, sign up, and start delivering new content. Onto a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. The Patreon continues to tick up. And remember that uh, for $5 a month or more, you can uh, get an advert-free RSS feed on there. So uh, do check that out, latenightlinux.com slash support if you want to join those people. Uh, And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. So Mozilla had a monumental fuck-up recently. They let a certificate expire, and it just disabled everybody's add-ons and extensions, including the Tor browser, because that uses extensions. So it Just what a clusterfuck this was. You usually defend Mozilla Felium. Good luck.
2: <laughs> Somebody who's on holiday. I know, I was actually ill. I, I was ill that day.
1: I woke, I, I woke up with a split migraine, went back to bed and was dead all day. It came. I woke up at five o'clock and I looked at my browser. And I was like, what the fuck's happened to my browser? Nothing's working. And uh, yeah, I had to ping you on Telegram. And I was like, did something happen? Because it looked a bit too... Sort of unusual that every single thing broke in my browser. Well, I mean, the thing is with the thing timing out, that's doing its job properly. So, I mean, correct. Revoking a certificate revoke the stuff. If you, if you, if you found out that somebody had implemented dodgy plugins and you needed to blitz the lot, there you go. It worked. It did its job. I saw people complain about that. I don't think that's the problem. I think not fucking realizing that the things about the timeout, that's a bit of a problem all right
0: yeah to fucking set up a con job to email you that it needs to be done if you can't automate
1: the actual replacement of the cert yeah but you know that's going to bob and bob's not in the company anymore because he was the only one who set it up and they said who should i send this to they went uh, why don't you set yourself to that for now and we'll set up a distro list later yeah but it's just
0: mismanagement at that point then it just makes them look like a two-bit operation
2: Yeah, understaffed and without enough resources when, you know, what is their main mission on top of all the IoT stuff and all the other things that they're trying to do? Just keep the – how many users did they lose that day? I know. How many people
0: just said, fuck it, I'm using Chrome? Yeah. Are you going to try and defend them a bit more then?
1: No, I, I mean, there's, there's no point in defending that. I mean, but I mean, Firefox is not working. That's it. I'm using Chrome now. That'll show them as like, well, no, not really. That's, that's much worse. But fair enough. You cling to that. like, Yeah. But it's funny how they fixed
0: it initially before they pushed out a proper update was with this studies thing. And that's why mine was switched off. Yeah, mine was as well.
1: And I switched it back
0: off the minute it was fixed. I don't know, just the whole thing was so badly managed as well. Not only was it an epic fuck-up, okay, it was at the weekend and stuff, but still, they didn't really communicate very well what was going on with it. And, you know, just the whole thing was just a
1: complete clusterfuck. Yeah, it sounds like they need more sysadmins, to be honest. I mean, it's, you know, you can have lots of developers, but you need people that actually do that type of work, and I'm sure they have some, but you'd wonder if they get a full share of, Shouting about stuff as much as everybody else. I don't know.
2: Well, that's what really worries me. It's not so much the specific people. It's like the processes that they've got in place, you know, the kind of the, the architecture that they've got in place, the people who are in charge of implementing the architecture and looking after their kind of core product. Where are these? Because you do hear these nightmare stories from commenters, you know, who claim to be ex Mozilla and you, you, you hear that it could be, you know, anything that you get in comments, but this is kind of, it could be evidence, and I'd hate to think it so because it's such an important project. I really hope they take this as an opportunity to look at you know their processes and make sure it's really robust. Oh, totally. Because they're very needed, because like, we can't depend on, on Chrome. We just can't. No. No, I mean, it is they are the leaders of the free world, effectively. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm still using Firefox even after
0: this and even after that Mr. Robot shit and all the other fuck-ups because the alternative... I mean, Chromium you could use, but why bother?
1: Well, uh, remember when IQ was here, he was talking about, you know, you can't disassociate that from proper Google, even with Chromium. You still have to have that when you're building it. So it's not as separate as people like to think.
0: Yeah, exactly. So Debian Buster, which is the next release, is going to be using GNOME and Wayland, which, uh, well, it looks that way. It's not 100% confirmed, but... That's quite a big step for them. Debian's usually quite conservative and Wayland, I know it's been around for a very long time and it's been default in a few distros for a long time. But I mean, even Ubuntu isn't shipping it by default yet.
2: Yeah, I don't know much about this, I must admit, but we've been waiting for Wayland to become production ready for so long. I, I hope it's the case that it's getting to that point.
1: I've done a fresh install of my wife's laptop, which is now on uh, Neon, the latest version, and it was running x Wayland for her by default. It's got an NVIDIA card. It's got one of the, uh, is it Optimus cards, I think? Oh, yeah, where it switches between. The dual NVIDIA, yeah. um, not that, that, not that it actually
0: works, though. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so that means that it must be running Wayland then,
1: and X apps on top of that. Hmm. I've updated my Neon from the very start, so my copy is some sort of bastard Frankenstein thing from actually Kubuntu, whatever it was when they switched, so I could never
2: justifiably say what they're using by default, but it looks like it's Wayland for them too, so... Mm. Mine too, I'm in the same position. And especially with NVIDIA not making the necessary patches for so long, I may have even kind of stopped it. I can't remember. Or you two with your fancy
0: graphics cards. (laughs) I just have uh, Intel only. And uh, yeah, I don't know when we'll get Wayland for XFCE, probably in about 10 years. I just, as long as the wobbly windows are there, I don't mind. (laughs) It just seems a bit odd i suppose maybe it's time and if debian does ship with wayland by default then it's a real sign isn't it that wayland has arrived finally
1: yeah it would be uh, i mean there have been a couple of really showstopper bugs though where an awful lot of applications you think what why would that have a trouble uh, and like Snaptic didn't work so they were thinking that that would have to be uh, ejected from debian if they're going to use wayland you know and it's the whole security system that's built into it now where you're suddenly going along to use security after the fact almost where we've been using applications pretty insecurely using x over the years that now we're suddenly locking things down more and we're finding a lot of cases where oh shit that's not going to work at all you know you're not going to be able to adjust those features so i think there's still a scary amount of things that aren't working but you know maybe yeah as you say this this can fix it all yeah hopefully So something you put in at the last minute, Graham,
0: which I don't know much about, is um, Google has created a dedicated placement in its search results for AMP stories, starting with the travel category. So that is um, yeah, just the, the further march of accelerated mobile pages.
2: Yeah, well, because we talked about AMP before, and I knew you felt strongly about it. And also, I'm becoming increasingly concerned about Google's famed impartiality and in supposedly delivering search results and yet that's just eroded almost every single day um you know placing amp results artificially into results to to promote their own open platform i suppose it's fair to say i don't like it where do these show up because some of us don't have google search on our phone
1: Well, you're not going to see it then, are you? It's the bottom line. And so is it an application that runs on the phone that forces you through it, or is it just using Google search engine, or...? No, just in the browser on
0: the phone. If you search for whatever, then you'll get the AMP results. And the thing is, the thing that's really annoying about this is AMP is actually really good. It's so fast and just loads instantly. And it would be good if it was a proper open standard. And if people just made their websites work like that, but without it being locked into Google. I mean, it's not locked into Google, but a lot of people host their AMP site on Google servers, which makes me feel very uncomfortable. When I look and, you you know, you're reading an, an article about something, and then you try and copy the URL, and you realize, shit, this is like google.com, you know, slash whatever, slash AMP, and then the the URL of the page that you're actually going to, which means that obviously Google has all of the metrics about what you're reading, and it's obvious why they want them.
2: Yeah, and if it's like this now, where where is it going to be in another 10 years? And I get annoyed by websites continually asking me if I want to use their shite app.
1: This sounds even worse.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's not, though. The user experience is really good, and that's what worries me about it. So, yeah, further march of that is just not what we want to
1: see, really. It'd be nice if they could hand it over to a foundation that was actually vendor-neutral and Mm. would maintain it properly. Well, they have started a foundation, and they do want
0: it to be vendor-neutral in theory, but um, that is taking a bit of time. Hopefully, that is
1: going to happen. they own 29 of the 30 board seats. The other one is a guy who used to work there.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The Google Foundation. (laughs) Uh,
0: So this other one, then, is uh, the end of works with Nest could be trouble for
2: smart homes. I know nothing about home automation and stuff, so fill me in. So I am quite into it. so Nest was an independent company. They're most well known for their thermostats that you can control from your phone, um, that kind of intelligently guess when you're going to be back home so that they can turn the heating on or the air conditioning on. Um, they also do webcams, security cameras. It, and Nest was bought by Google. So for the last, I don't know exactly when, but for the last couple of years, it's been run under the kind of umbrella organization of Google. But one of the most, so all of this was done via Nest's infrastructure. It's cloud. Um, but one of the, one of the redeeming factors about it was that you could anybody, and I've done it, you can get an API key and you can easily script your own solutions. You can get all of the data out of those devices you can you know you can see how much fuel you're using you can see when you use it you can automate all the timing yourself and kind of re-engineer what's being done and when this first happened when Google first bought Nest I thought well that's a bad thing it's more data in Google's hands um, it's more of a monoculture but surely they wouldn't be stupid enough to you know lock it down um, and this 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 to me is like a red flag because sure enough, they're closing down what they call works with nest, which is the, as much as I can see it, it, it will mean that I can no longer get an API key to be able to make my own calls to get my own data in a way that is useful to me. And it basically closes the platform down. And nest is a big thing and it's something that they'll no doubt push increasingly through their own Google Assistant, it means it might not work with this, this, then that. It might not work with Alexa. It kind of, it's just another symptom perhaps in in Google's ongoing direction. The only thing I know about Nest is that um, Google have adopted
0: that brand because the Google brand is so toxic at this point in terms of uh, privacy and stuff that um, now they're starting to call their devices, starting to brand them with Nest instead of Google.
1: Yeah. And I imagine they're not cheap either. So, you know, you're
2: probably not going to change every light switch in your house readily. Well, no, the thermostats are expensive because they, I mean, that's what I've got. Um, they're a couple of hundred pounds and it, it involves wiring into your actual heating. Oh, I hear that's definitely safe. So it should be fine. <laughs> it's, it is really useful. I mean, it, it's just such a pity. And I've said this before. If there was, if there was, um, an internet of, of LAN thing, you know, I would be all over it, but there just isn't. I'd just love to be able to keep this stuff self contained. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. If I could keep it all on my land, then I'd be interested. But it's just not possible, is it, at the moment? Or it's it's very difficult at least. Yeah. Um there was actually a talk at Linux Fest Northwest by Alex, um, who I know he works for Red Hat, but um and he's like really into running all this stuff. Yourself, self-hosting and everything, but there are some key components that just aren't anywhere near as good, and it sounds like this is really bad news for self-hosting because presumably there was quite a lot of free software that could interact with those APIs and everything, whereas now you're just locked down to their proprietary
2: apps. Yeah, exactly, and it was actually very easy to work with. I mean, even if the software didn't support it, that you could easily add it. Oh, well, that's a bit of a downer to end on then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) i'd love it i, I mean th- maybe it takes so to, to, to end maybe on a bit of a positive maybe it takes something like this for somebody to finally look at their nest devices and say right i'm going to do something about this let's not upgrade the firmware on it i'm going to subvert it i'm going to lock it down to my own LAN, and this is the solution and it, it's the beginning of something yeah and we'll all be using Minecraft, and then we'll wake <laughs> up and have our a bits
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, right well i suppose with that then we better get out of here um hopefully full house next time uh and I've got a really exciting thing to talk about hopefully if I can get my in gear and get it done uh, but I won't tease it too much, so until then I've been Joe, I've been Graham and I've been Phelan, see you later